Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman, and this here is our 100th episode. Yes, we've been doing this show for two years, I guess, at this point. We're now hitting the, the triple digits and just wanted to take take a moment to thank to thank everyone, to thank not only the incredible Film Inquiry team for uh, letting me do this show on a week-to-week basis, but also a thank you to you, the listeners, for for making this show possible, for tuning in each week, or if you're not tuning in each week, tuning in every other week, or just firing up a random episode, or maybe this is your first episode and you're like, mm, I don't know if I'm sold on listening to this show anymore, in which case you should, because um, it's great, or I think it's pretty great. Um, this show's kind of gone through a bizarre evolution it feels like i mean so much has changed in kind of the the cinema landscape it feels like since we first started this show which was kind of in the midst of the pandemic and <laughs> was probably not the 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 sort of smartest idea in in like in hindsight of of pitching the film inquiry of like yeah i'll do a, a latest like new release show um at a time when uh, hardly anything was getting released and we were like, well, I don't know when our movie's going to come back. Um, but we made it work. And thanks to like an incredible lineup of guests, many who, um, appear on multiple episodes throughout this feed have made this a show that it feels both, um, insightful while also very entertaining, or at least I hope both of those things, I guess you can let me know in the comment section if, do you think this show is a lot of crap? But we're looking forward to the kind of taking this in new directions and seeing what else we can do. And as the show has evolved from like, I don't know, what what are we just watching during the pandemic to sort of, all right, movies are kind of like one foot in the door, one foot out. Like, is streaming just where everything's going? Is the theatrical experience dead? Wh- what's to be done about the Oscars? Does that matter anymore to now two years later it feels like we're in at least like a 75 percent sort of more normal landscape and maybe things are looking maybe not positive for the oscars they're probably screwed in the long term but you know positive in terms of all the other things that i just mentioned and the show's just also been uh so important to me and i think starting it at a time during the pandemic of just sort of like, I need something to keep myself sane and just thinking back on the last two years of doing this show and all, not just the incredible amount of change in the industry and in how we experience and talk about movies in the last couple of years, but also like an insane amount of personal change that's happened in my life. So um, I won't bore our listeners anymore and we'll save the rest of that for my therapist, but um, just want to thank everyone who has been involved in this show over the last couple of years, whether you were a guest, um, an editor, or just a listener. And now for this week, going to tune it over to a short segment um, did with my friend Noah Richard. We went and saw, uh, early we went and saw the movie Bros, which is kind of the big uh, new release, I guess, of the weekend. Um, this is the Billy Eichner rom-com um, that he also co-wrote. Uh, Billy Eichner, obviously the very talented comedian. You've probably seen the Billy on the Street 
YouTube series that he did. And this is kind of him springboarding and uh, having a whole movie sort of built around him and his comedic persona. And it's a very old-fashioned rom-com. So I, I encourage you to just stick around and listen to this conversation. Noah and I talked about not just sort of like, is this a star-making vehicle? Like, is Billy Eichner a movie star? But also the movie's importance as kind of the first mainstream wide release movie with a gay romance at the center of it and a primarily lgbtq plus cast in it and so it's a huge movie in terms of diversity and the kinds of people we see represented in movies all the time so Noah and i touched on that and kind of predicted i think a little bit about like how we thought this movie was going to do at the box office recording this obviously on a sunday and so now i i have a little bit of uh foresight into um this movie looks like it's doing really bad which is uh unfortunate but hopefully as i kind of suggested in the episode it'll have kind of a second life on vod um so stick stay tuned for that conversation as we talk about this movie which is uh like i said a pretty significant kind of groundbreaking movie in terms of representation and talk about that as term as well as eichner as a movie star and just how we thought the movie was whether whether we thought it was uh successful or not um so stay tuned for that interview that's coming up here in a couple seconds and stay tuned in the coming weeks we're gonna have tons to talk about on this show from spooky season halloween is coming back um uh, not just the holiday like there's actually a new halloween movie coming out if you didn't realize that and catching up on some going a little bit more in depth into some of the movies that uh saw at tiff like decision to leave or banshees of inishirin uh i believe the rock is in a superhero movie called black adam i have no idea what that is but daniel feingold who comes on this show sometimes seems really excited about it um and next week uh I don't know. I don't know how much I want to uh, preview the the awkward David O. Russell conversation we're going to have to have, but that'll be next week. Uh, so s- stay tuned. Uh, and enjoy this uh, conversation I had with Noah Richard about the movie Bros. Yeah, so kind of the big movie this weekend is Bros, which uh, premiered at tiff although did not see it there uh you and i both saw it a couple nights ago this is basically the new rom-com starring billy eichner who i believe also wrote the movie and is kind of it's produced by judd apatow and kind of in that classic like apatow uh mold of like let's take a person who is not like is sort of semi-famous i would say like is is recognizable but is maybe not an a-list celebrity and let's try to build a movie around them and see if we can launch them into a major mainstream talent. Um, It's also as the studio universal kept relaying to us over and over again last night is sort of this big uh, diverse moment because it is a mainstream studio romantic comedy going out in theaters with a gay love story at the center of it and a pretty much all LGBTQ plus cast in it. So a movie with a lot of expectations going into it. I know as we were kind of like walking out, you sort of mentioned like you had some 
some some thoughts you were kind of processing through and i know a few months ago like kind of pinpointed to me like this is a movie you definitely wanted to talk about so i feel like the best place to start is just sort of giving the mic over to you on what you thought of of this movie and then maybe we can kind of un- unpack what this means what works what doesn't whether we think billy eichner is actually going to become like a huge mainstream comedy star or not whether people want mainstream comedies anymore <laughs> Um, but you, I'll, you give me your thoughts on what you thought of the movie. Yeah. So first off, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, I laughed pretty much the entire time. The jokes were good. So it's very much a Billy Eichner movie. Like if you don't like Billy on the street, if you don't like horrible people or any of his other, you know, comedy work, you're probably not going to love this. Um, it's very much his voice, which I enjoyed, but overall, like, um, like Jesse was saying, it's a it's a movie by gay people or by LGBTQ people, but it's made for for a wider audience. And I think that that's kind of what is historic about it or, or groundbreaking what Universal is talking about, um, which is kind of where my, my qualms lie is mm. – um, it's almost too general. It's almost too stereotypical in some ways. And, um, and I don't love it, um, in that regard. It's not like Fire Island where it's more of a movie made for gay people by gay people, or even like something on Netflix, like, um, the coming of age stories, things like that. It's a different Mm. kind of, of movie, um, but very much a typical Judd Judd Apatow rom-com. Um, one thing I do really enjoy about this movie is I think the thesis statement of it is that not all love, not straight love and gay love is not the same. It mm-hmm. is different. There are different flavors and there are different things that make it work. And it's, you know, it's just as valid, but it's, it's not the same. Yeah. I, I, I think kind of to get at to what you were sort of talking about before, it is sort of this kind of like, I've been thinking about today, there is sort of an, an irony at the heart of the movie of, on one hand, it is this sort of radical, uh, groundbreaking sort of mainstream movie in a lot of ways, but in also trying to be sort of this like broad uh, movie for general mass audiences um, is very much sort of like, it almost feels like it's steering a little head on into a lot of the cliches of the rom-com genre. And we can have a whole conversation about like, you know, there's there's the conversation to be had about like, well, are cliches cliches for a reason? And like, is that necessarily bad? Um, you know, something like Woman King that came out a couple of weeks ago, like I think uh, our mutual friend Daniel Feingold and I've talked about like, yeah, that movie's a little cliched, but it's sort of in like an old fashioned way. Um, and so I don't want to totally use that against the movie, but there seemed to be something that was kind of like, I came out maybe a little bit disappointed pointed i think like you thought it was often like very funny in places but i think a little bit of a disappointment in that about i would say halfway through it did kind of feel like all right i sort of know where this is going like it very much falls into a very familiar formula for like if you've seen any romantic comedy going back to like when harry met sally i mean it's basically the sort of two mismatched people that you wouldn't expect to be together 
And over the course of the movie, they're going to fall in love and then fall out of love. And someone's going to cheat on someone da, 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 and then they'll come back together in the end. And seeing the appeal of trying to sort of like do that kind of story from a different perspective, but that it, I still was left with a little bit of a feeling of like, I kind of wish this was a little bit more willing to kind of like not sort of ride that sort of familiar storyline so much if that makes sense of almost like it's it's more uh it's groundbreaking in terms of the people at its center but not in terms of the storytelling and almost like the storytelling needs to be very um safe and kind of inside a box in order for like I, i think it's kind of like correct me if i'm wrong kind of what you're saying like for a more mass audience to sort of maybe accept the kind of people that are at the center of this story yeah, I think they're they were trying to fit a lot of the rom com tropes into a mm-hmm. single movie. And while I love rom coms and you know, um was very much enjoying a lot of it, I think that it kind of made the movie flat in a way because you don't get to know a lot of the characters because they're all it's all generic. Mm-hmm. It's nothing specific to the movie or to the characters other than a few funny cutaway scenes about you know, gay relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious with like this and talking about this as sort of a springboard for Billy Eichner and should mention Billy Eichner also uh, co-wrote it with Nicholas Stoller, who also directed it. Um, also the director behind stuff like Neighbors and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, and this kind of movie, I feel like, you know, if we're talking about sort of the Apatow brand is you know, it's it's similar to like I was thinking today, like Pete Davidson got his version of this, Amy Schumer got her version, Seth Rogen with knocked up of like, let's let's take a very familiar rom com sort of structure and just see if you could build a movie around this person. So I think sort of in in that way, like I don't know, do do you see Billy Eichner as as a movie star? Like I think he's definitely very funny in it, but it, maybe that's not even a question I've fully landed on of like i i'm almost in the perspective now of like sure why why not why shouldn't he be a a big comedy star but i don't know was it was it that convincing to you of like okay he's the next person to kind of take on the world because we've obviously seen in some of these apatow experiments like this like seth rogan obviously like worked really well i would say maybe like the amy schumer train wreck scenario like that maybe didn't pan out for a variety yeah, of different right. reasons I, I don't know where do you kind of see this going for him like i was saying like this was billy eichner to me this wasn't a character it was just him basically being himself and kind mm. of writing a, a movie around um his character of you know himself and so i'm not sure how that translates to other movies where he may right not be the writer and may not be as I'm not, I don't think it's autobiographical, but I think there's a lot of lived experience that he put into it. That's something that's not as personal to him. And, and I have to say, I think one of, as much as we've kind of been critical, I think a little bit of how much this movie kind of colors inside the lines of like what we think of is a like fairly old school rom-com. Um, I, I do think the aspect of it that does work is like I, I bought the chemistry between mm-hmm. Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane, who I'd never seen in anything before. Yeah, I, don't I know think if he's ever... an actual Hallmark movie 
person. Like that's okay. where he came up, which I think makes some of the bits in <laughs> the movie a, <laughs> um, a little um, funnier, actually, since that's his background. But I mean, I think that the chemistry between the two leads was extremely convincing. I think Billy Eichner is very charismatic. I think he's um, has a lot of funny mannerisms and jokes and things like that throughout the movie that only he could do. Mm-hmm. So I think it works very well. And the, the character of um, the, the other, the boyfriend, the, the other Melly doesn't seem as quite developed to me. I think that um, you were, it, it, you were kind of texting today about like, there's, there's a, a, a subplot with him, like wanting to be a chocolatier yeah, that feels just, just like something like a weird sort of like, what what's sort of a quirky thing he could be into that like doesn't really make sense right at it's, all. it's because like the way that they unveil the subplot is like they're in bed you know after a date or whatever and it's like this really kind of played of emotional moment that's absolutely ridiculous that he wants to be a tiny chocolate maker and it ends up you know leaving his job i don't know i don't know how you feel about spoilers in the podcast but i i think considering how i mean we i i think i think we can say uh maybe we don't have to give away specific jokes yeah in in the movie um but i i think we're fair to talk about what happens in this movie because i i really do think it's like if you've seen any nora efron movie like you know what happens right in this exactly movie, essentially well he ends up leaving his job as this you know um Ta- not tax attorney, but like an attorney that does wills and, and legals, things like that, um, to be a chocolate maker in this like massive New York City apartment that's very nicely furnished. <laughs> and I just walked out of that theater. It's so like, there is no way he's going to make chocolate and afford that apartment. And it just made no sense to me. Like, But isn't that- the overpriced New York apartment also kind of a rom-com staple? Yes, a- absolutely. <laughs> but I'm thinking back on like Meg Ryan's apartment and like, it's either sleepless in Seattle or like you got mail. It's like you, you're definitely, I think it's, you got mail. It's like, you're definitely not living in that Brooklyn townhouse when you own a local bookstore. Right. Exactly. Um, so just like, I mean, the joke was funny. There was just, it didn't make sense at, at the end, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and it was just like a, an interesting way to kind of like build intimacy about something that makes no sense. So, yeah, I, I do think they work together as, as, a pair though and you know it made me think of another rom-com that came out this year that i think you liked a lot more than i did like uh the jennifer lopez one marry me in which like my big rant since like that came out in what january has been like i kind of don't buy that those people like are attracted to each other in that movie of just like those two actors energies don't make sense together the characters as written like i don't understand why they would be attracted to each other and it it is kind of like I think this movie is at least watchable in the sense that Eichner and McFarlane have this like very genuine electricity yeah. between them, and that you know you need to be able to root for the people at the center in order for a movie like this to at least like carry you through the end, even if you're kind of watching a little like half brain off. Like that, like this is yeah. this is a like it's a Thursday night kind of you're just trying to wind down the evening and you're going to like open up a thing of like Ben and Jerry's or something right. and then watch like half or of it on chocolates. TBS. Right. Right. And watch like half of it on TBS or something like that. Yeah. Like it's, it is, it, 
in the sense of like that kind of experience, I think you need the intimacy between these two people to kind of work as well mm-hmm. as it does, even if the rest of the movie feels so artificial in the way that it is sort of like very intentionally like it almost feels like it's trying to check off like certain storytelling beats in in this type of genre right and i think that um well billy agner is like the 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 skinnier like you know kind of nerdy guy and then um McFarlane is not saying McFarlane, that's a different person. Yeah. But um but that'd be a very, very different movie. That'd be a very different movie. Um he um is like the much hunkier, you know, almost roided up like beefcake type character. And to me, like that's not necessarily an interesting character, but I think that the actor did a really good job of of humanizing and making it kind of more like boy next door, um accessible character than just like someone with like 15 and a half different abs. So something kind of tying into this that I wanted to ask you is obviously there's kind of, it feels like there's a lot of outsized pressure being kind of put on this movie. Not well, kind of for two reasons. I mean, one talked about on this podcast before of like the weird state we are in with like mainstream comedies. Um, And even like the rom-com, I mean, this is, as we're saying, like, a, a textbook rom-com and that right. whole genre it feels like has been totally like wh- whether you buy people just don't want to show up to the theaters to see this we're recording it before the movie comes out so i, I guess we could talk w- how we think it's going to do at the box office but it doesn't really seem like this is a genre that people are like going to the theaters to go watch it's pretty much been you know netflix has kind of i think kind of uh they, Build in the gap. They've oh, cornered the market on like cute teen, right, early exactly. 20s rom-coms. Will they, won't they? I feel right. Like. And so I think there's a, some, on one hand, some pressure of this movie of like, is this going to be like an, a, a kind of nail in the coffin of like, no, this kind of movie just cannot, like people are just not going to show up for a, a rom-com period. And then there's obviously the pressure of it from a diversity standpoint of this being a big mainstream movie with a, like I said, predominantly pretty much all LGBTQ cast. And kind of wanted to ask you both about like what you feel about this genre and kind of where it is now, as well as, you know, I'm not gay, but you, you are what I'm always sort of fascinated with. Like when we're talking about diversifying the movies, we see like what other stories do people want to see or do people not feel like they're seeing in movies? And especially in this conversation we're having about how in terms of the people in this movie, it's very diverse, but maybe it feels like a more kind of traditional story that we've kind of just seen over and over again in terms of the genre, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I am a big supporter of the traditional rom-com. I think that I will basically go see those most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, even if they're trashy, like Marry Me, which I still very much enjoyed. But um, they're already pushing for, I've got like the first like awards screener thing in the mail that was just like, hey, we know it's like four months before like voting for award stuff starts, but we just want you to know that you better be voting for the Jennifer Lopez song for best song. Of the it year. was a catchy song. I listened to that for like a good week after, okay? It's a good song. 
Um, and it wasn't the Marry Me song. It was the other one. Oh, it, it was, was the, the ballad. Non- it was the ballad. It's yeah. the ballad. But that's the that's the less of the two, I think. No, but that's what they do with the Oscar. But like because even with the Lin-Manuel, um, the the Bruno song, right? It wasn't that one. It was the one about the butterflies. I'm just saying we should have more more fun songs in the. We don't need like nine ballads to be competing every year. And Diane Warren's song. Yes. Sidetrack, but yeah, did make me think about that. I got that email like today. I was like, oh God, it's that time of year again. Jennifer Lopez Oscar <laughs> campaign starts now because she got snubbed for Hustlers. Again. <laughs> Let's hope it works this time. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, rom-coms I support. Um, well, I think it's refreshing just to in general to see a gay movie have a happy ending Mm. because a lot of queer media um, is very much based on trauma and getting over that or something bad happening or someone, you know, the gay character dies in the end or something like that. And so just seeing a movie that has, you know, happiness in it and jokes and that's not just about the trauma of, of being in the community, I think is very refreshing to me. Um, and actually kind of, there were a few jokes in the movie that were about the gay, a gay trauma. I'm thinking of the, the there's, there's one involving a roller coaster yes. that I don't want to spoil. And then Bo- there's Bowen Yang stole that, <laughs> like that scene for sure. And the, there there's one, the scene when they go to the movies, that's clearly like a jab at like broke back, broke back mountain or um, call me by your name even yeah or the power of the dog i was yeah. like the, what is the benedict cumberbatch movie from last year the, the western yes the yes the yeah. tortured gay cowboy yeah just stand in tortured gay cowboy movie gets like its own sort of spoof in in this movie that is i i mean as someone who watches a lot of movies i i thought was like a pretty insightful bit of of commentary right. and um you know is something we talk about in in terms of all kinds of representation i mean you hear it all the time whether it's movies about people of color or people in the lgbtq community and the way that hollywood oftentimes you know otherizes them and makes right or is like the oh we're only interested in your story if it's a story about like you know that straight white people in the audience can be like Oh, how sad. Right. Or someone's there to save them. <laughs> yes. But um, pat themselves on the back for being like, I'm glad I know now. Exactly. So in general, I mean, I think there was, it, it's been a good summer of comedy f- that is made by the queer community, like with Fire Island, like I was mentioning, or even like Heartstopper on Netflix. Like it's been nice to see those kind of like maybe bordering on, bordering on like too sugary, too sweet, um, stories that's not just about how people are not happy yeah and so and how they kind of overcome their trauma um or you know don't have any to begin with yeah i know you were a really big fan of fire island so i'm giving you the opportunity now if you want to gush on that movie we obviously had obviously i had andrew on the filmmaker on this podcast talking about the movie um I, I probably actually like that movie a little bit more than than Bros. Not to feels wrong. They're, they're wrong feels wrong to put them in competition, but I think that movie has sort of like, even though it's based off of a Jane Austen novel, I think has a certain kind of specificity about it right. that I I think I felt a little bit lacking from this movie, which felt you know a little bit more kind of like as I said, sort of artificially constructed in terms of its story beats and and kind of 
the story it wanted to tell, if that makes yeah. sense. And it's hard for me not to compare the two. And so with Fire Island, I was talking to some friends last night who hadn't seen Bros, but we were talking about how um, Fire Island felt like it was it was a niche movie. It mm. was it was not really for a wider straight audience. They didn't really care to cater to that audience. It was about you know the LGBTQ community being represented on their own terms and i think the jokes in that and kind of the bits were even more more specific than in Mm -hmm. bros and felt a lot more lived in a lot more knowing than the jokes in bros did um and i think that that worked a lot for me like there's a scene in fire island about like poppers and like you know club drugs and things like that that was like no nonchalant it wasn't like it was meant to be in there, but it was kind of like, if you know, you know, Mm -hmm. but then in bros, there's a similar scene with poppers during a sex scene that it's like very much like they're doing it on purpose and there isn't a purpose for that. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of comparing the comedy between the two where fire Island had jokes for the LGBTQ community Whereas bros were taking similar ideas and trying to almost make them palatable for everybody. Mm. I'm curious, how do you think this movie is going to do at the box office? I don't. I, it's kind of been something I've been wrestling with all day because I, I never want to underestimate underserved markets showing up for a movie that, like, to, you know, signal to Hollywood, like, Hey, we like we're paying customers too. Like, yeah, w- the make content for us, I'm, but uh, but also my like I said earlier, like kind of like my skepticism about like I don't know, maybe this is the of whether people want to go to the theaters anymore to see a rom com. I mean, that that'd be sad to me that that was a thing no more. But almost wondering if this is a movie that in it's it's its moment of discovery will be in like two months on video on demand or something like that. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely going to be a bigger, you know, VOD player, but I, I posted a story on my Instagram that I was at the screening last night mm-hmm. and then like nearly two dozen people messaged me on Instagram saying how bad they wanted to see it and mm-hmm. to let them know if they should go see it. And no one, replies to my dms that much right like i think so i think from that small group like people i know are interested in Mm -hmm. it and are motivated to go see it but i'm not sure how that's going to play out at the box office um or if they're just going to wait for it to come out on netflix or something like that yeah it'll certainly be be interesting to see um i'm i'm personally rooting for it just as someone who wants to see more more comedies and more kinds of people at the center of the movies that, yeah. that we get to see. Um, I'm curious before we wrap it up, if you had any kind of last random stray thoughts, if you had just like a list on your phone walking out of the movie of just sort of like things you needed to hit on b- before we, we wrap things up on this episode. Um, I mean, overall, like I, I would recommend people go see it. So, you know, my criticism is not taking away from my enjoyment of the movie because yeah. there was, there were so, like, it's not bad. It's not bad. And I don't know how many times I, I looked over at you a few times while I was laughing at some very specific jokes. Um, 
that even you were cracking up at. Um, <laughs> there is a Dear there, Evan Hansen there is joke a Dear Evan that like, almost joke. made me fall out of my seat. <laughs> uh, any any fall any other fall movies you're looking forward to? Well, got been... got got kind of a big month coming up. Halloween's coming back. I, I'm excited for Hocus Pocus too. That's that's oh that's my, right. That's my number one. <laughs> She's like Michael Myers. No, Kate Blanchett as a as a prickly, okay, yes. prickly composer. No, but the witches Bad Halloween Midler. Town. Yes, yes, definitely. 